in the temptation of Jesus Christ, we have this very important point, which is the fact that Jesus is clearly imbued with the Holy Spirit, clearly a messenger from God and sent forth as a messenger from God. And yet the devil comes to him in that temptation and asks him to prostrate to him. So that means that the devil was going to take as a messenger for his own self, a messenger that was already a messenger for God. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh, Tiffany. Thank you so much for having me once again. God bless you, kid. Today we want to talk about, um, it will be a follow-up conversation to our last episode in which we discussed the idea or the notion uh, that there were fallible human beings who determined what books uh, go into the Old Testament, the New Testament, there were even fallible human beings and and this topic or it's going to need its own episode and its own explanation which is uh, the arrangement of the quran because the quran also was arranged by fallible human beings um, and those are the companions of the prophet uh, peace be upon him and his family and this is a fact that's not um, necessarily well known in the muslim world but uh, the scholars know it and it's mentioned clearly in the uh, hadith of the Ahl Bayt and also in the hadith of the majority of Muslims that after the Prophet's passing, um, the, the placement of the verses and the placement of the surahs and the compilation of the Qur'an uh, took place, uh, two compilations took place, one by Imam Ali salam, and another compilation took place by uh, the uh, the companions. So one by the Ahlbeits, one by the companions. Okay. And we talked about also in the previous episode how there are uh, there were certain books like books of different prophets or books that were attributed uh, to the different prophets um, or saints that were um, not included or not picked uh, by the rabbis and the priests to be included in the uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And uh, oddly enough, also, you do have narrations, uh, Sunni narrations that are present uh, um, in their in their books in their major books that uh, where the companions uh, of the Prophet Muhammad also speak about uh, surahs or parts of surahs or verses uh, from the Quran that um, that also did not make it uh, into the Quran, mm-hmm. and uh, we will we will speak about that as well in that episode that is pertaining uh, to the Quran. Okay, uh, but we spoke about also how there's these these ideas. Um, that were in these books that were present, that, that were not included into the Old Testament and the New Testament because they uh, contained uh, ideas that were different 
sometimes contradictory uh, to the apparent meaning of the Old Testament or the New Testament. And one of these themes, which is the topic of our uh, discussion today, uh, is this notion of the existence of an evil God or an evil creator and, uh, and the fact that it was uh, the idea that it was actually Satan who created uh, the physical realm or the physical world. Um, and we find this idea being present a lot in the uh, Gnostic Gospels. This is probably the number one theme that we find repeating itself. And uh, yeah, so it's a big topic. Are we ready? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so we have in Gnostic scripture um, this notion that Jesus is rebelling against um, the, the, the God of the Old Testament. Yeah. Yeah. Except that uh, he reveals subtly, quietly, in secret gospels and secret conversations with his close disciples where he tells them, don't tell anybody. He reveals to them that uh, the, the God of the Old Testament is actually Satan. And that he's not the ultimate God, and that he's actually um, an evil God. And many a times they use, now regardless of whether or not all of these references or all of these interpretations uh, from these Gnostic Gospels are correct or not correct, let's go over um, the idea uh, behind it and the evidences that these Gnostic Scriptures use. So they say that, uh, first off, there's a plurality in, in the aspect of creation. So uh, Elohim, which is the word for God in Hebrew in the Old Testament, uh, that was responsible for creation, uh, it's a plural word. Mm -hmm. And we also have in the Quran uh, this plurality when God is referring to himself, where he says, you know, we are the ones who caused such and such to happen, the rain to fall down, or we're the ones who created. It's always we, we, we. Yes, so true. there's this plurality theme instead of uh, it being being one. So so then it, it begs the the question, or it brings us to the question of, of, is there even such a thing uh, that is acceptable in Judaism, Christianity, and Islam as there being more than one creator? Because the three religions profess that they are religions that worship one God, yes. and that one God is supposed to be the creator, yeah. right, who gave us life yeah. and gave us all things. And so is it even acceptable for us or is it a heretical idea that takes us out of the fold of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, all out of these monotheistic religions, if we were to even entertain the notion that there is a creator, um, you know, besides Yahweh or besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And when we look in the Quran, we find that the idea of there being a creator besides God or other than God is totally acceptable. And uh, this is proven uh, in the verses of the Quran when it speaks about Jesus and his miracle that he creates out of clay birds. So yes, right. here's Jesus. He's, he's a creature. 
uh, in the Quran, and yet he's also a creator, where he has the power to create out of clay living beings just in the same way that God created out of clay uh, Adam. That's true. And the story is also present in one of the Gnostic Gospels. Uh, it's not present in the Bible uh, as we have it, but it's present in a book called the Infancy Gospel of Thomas. So the exact story that's in the Quran about Jesus creating uh, birds out of clay and then breathing life into them as a child is actually present in Christian uh, scriptures as well. Yeah. And so people could read this in one of two ways. People could say that, okay, so this story, um, first off, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi, he was obviously a Gnostic Christian. Uh, he's drawing off of Gnostic sources. They could say that he was a fake too, and he was just stealing information from, um, you know, Gnostic scripture. Or they could take this of a, as a confirmation of what it is that we spoke about in the in the previous episode, and that is that uh, you know it, here obviously Muhammad sallallahu in the Quran is showing to us that most of the truth is found in that which the people uh, deny, which is these sources um, you know that contain truth but were not uh, added into the the mainstream uh, scripture. Yes. So the notion of there being another creator other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is present, it's alive, it's, it's, it's healthy, and you can still be a Muslim and believe that. And, and so, so, yeah, so that's, that's the case there. When we go to the narrations of the Ahl Bayt, uh, we see uh, something extremely interesting, and that is that we have a dua that's narrated from them, a prayer that's narrated from them, in which, they're, which it's preserved, and the Ahl Bayt are calling upon God. And the way that they're calling upon God, and, and there's many prayers that were preserved from the Ahl Bayt, many books that were compiled that have these, uh, you know, du'as and, and things like Mafatiha Jinan or other than them. And, and so in this particular du'a, uh, the Ahl Bayt say about, they're speaking to God and they say, Oh, Lord of Lords, Oh, King of Kings, Oh, God of Gods. Okay. So this, this phrase, God of gods, ilah al-aliha, uh, proves that there is now a host of lower deities mm-hmm. or, or lo- lower lords, Rabb al-Arbab or ilah al-aliha. These two phrases are present in the du'a, Lord of lords and, and God of gods. So if this du'a is true, and certainly the Shia consider it to be true, and it was narrated from the Ahl Bayt, then that means that, that there are other lords and there are other gods besides the ultimate one God who is kind of the king of all kings, the lord of all lords, the god of all gods, the one whom all the rest of them are in poverty of, that they're in need of him uh, for their source of power. And so then we we ask ourselves, because we know that there'll be some Muslims out there that's going to say that this is totally shirk, uh, this is polytheism, uh, this is not allowed uh, and yet, when we when we look into the verses of the Quran from Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, 
uh, that the people who would call this polytheism would also say that it's an abomination to even insinuate that any verse from the Quran is 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 not one hundred percent true. So following uh, in that uh, in that conversation or 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 when we go back and we say, okay, well, the Quran is 100% true. Let us look at what's written in there. We find verses where a prophet from God, Joseph, is referring to the Potiphar uh, as his Lord. He says, he is my Lord and he did good to me. Okay. Okay. So here's a prophet of God and there being no problem with him calling somebody who sustained him with in the material physical world as uh, his Lord. Joseph uh, does not see him as his God or the ultimate yeah, God. <laughs> right. Yeah. But it's okay that he calls him Lord. So if that's the case, then God would be the Lord of Lords and the Potiphar, who is even uh, not a believer, a monotheist believer, it was okay to call him Lord. Then there must be also other creatures that have reached high levels of being able to do things that the gods are able to do or that yep. God is able to do, such as creating things and you can call them God and not mean by that that they are the ultimate God. So in that case, then Jesus would be a God. He would be a Lord in the sense that he is God in creation and in his time and is able to um, create birds out of clay and do some of the things and reflects the nature of the ultimate God of gods. But we as Muslims don't take him to be the ultimate and absolute God. Like we don't consider that Jesus is the father. Yes. I mean, that's logical. I mean, it's a very deep topic, actually, um, thinking about the, this hierarchy of, of lords and the fact that there, that there, there can be a reference to somebody higher, but you're not referring to the ultimate God. There is one ultimate God. But that doesn't uh, negate the fact that there are others capable of creation. Mm -hmm. There are others capable of, uh, who have like earned the rank yeah. um, of God in creation, who have earned the abilities to, to do things that we associate with God. Yeah, so the mere existence of this dot and the mere existence of these verses means that, um, you know, it's never shirk to call somebody else a Lord or a God. Um, and the existence of many gods or many lords is not polytheism unless the individual considers them to be many gods that are equal to one another in power. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. All right. So uh, then you have in, in terms of the, the Old Testament and well, let's, let's go first to the New Testament. Um, I mean, obviously, you have Jesus performing miracles like raising uh, Lazarus from the dead and being able to do things that, you know, uh, that involve creation. Yeah. Um, in the Old Testament, um, the evidences that are used in these Gnostic Gospels to prove the idea that there is a God other than the God who's declaring himself to be God in the Old Testament is uh, stuff like the idea when, when, so Jesus says in one of the Gnostic scriptures, he says, 
the proof, and I'm paraphrasing here, the proof that the God who was walking with Adam in the Garden of Eden was not the ultimate God is the fact that he says, uh, you know, where are you, Adam? Yeah. What happened to your clothes? Mm. So these questions that he poses, uh, it's taken yeah. as a proof that he is not all-knowing. Okay, he has and limits. He, that he has what? Limits. He has yeah. limits. And as long as you have limits, then even if you are called God or are in that position in the Garden of Eden as being the God, but you're not the ultimate God. Okay. I mean, okay. it does make sense, yeah. It does make sense. Um, but we have to be careful now. We can't confirm yet uh, anything uh, that the Gnostic Gospels are saying uh, in terms of specific verses, because there's still uh, episodes that we have to make to, ex you know, explain very clearly, um, you know, and, and define for our viewers uh, what is the correct way of looking at it versus, uh, you know, the incorrect way of looking at it. But as a logical argumentation, uh, we, we have one here in the Gnostic Gospels using uh, this as uh, evidence. And then they reverse the story. So then the story now becomes a reversed one in the Gnostic Gospel where the snake becomes the hero who is encouraging Adam to eat from the tree. And, and the, the God who's trying to keep him from eating of the tree is, is evil. And the theme carries on uh, to where you have uh, an explanation now for this God that says, I am a jealous God. And if he was the ultimate God, he would have nobody to be jealous of. And the God that loses his temper in the Old Testament and brings down uh, the flood or that punishes people or that sought to kill Moses on his way to Pharaoh, that all of these are examples of a non-loving God and a God who is not the ultimate God. Yeah, that's a shocking one. Yeah, this is the belief that's going on with the, uh, you know, with, with, the, with the Gnostic Christians at that time. Okay. I mean, this is a very wildly different uh, view of what happened than what is in the Bible and uh, than what is taught, of course, in the religions of Judaism and Christianity and Islam. Um, and it, it makes sense, I guess, how there's this separation between um, the books that people were able to understand and uh, they could see how it must be uh, true and then these other books that contain wildly different uh, concepts that they decided to exclude. Yes. So then we have um, then we have the coming of Jesus Christ and the New Testament and the New Testament. Uh, you know, in the Gnostic uh, Gospels, the coming of Jesus is like the the beginning of a new chapter, as it is for normal Christians. Yes. Yeah. 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 And, and the, you have Jesus in many of the Gnostic scriptures uh, laughing at uh, and pointing out the faults of the prophets and the messengers that came from the time of Adam all the way down to Jesus. Yeah. So uh, 
in the Gnostic scriptures, he kind of refers to Adam as, as also uh, not having enough determination, just as we have Adam being referenced in the Quran as not having enough determination. Interesting. Except that the twist on it in the Gnostic scripture is that he, he wasn't determined enough and he wasn't brave enough to declare that the God that was trying to prevent him from eating from the tree of knowledge was an evil God and that he wasn't the ultimate God. This is something that apparently, according to the Gnostic scripture, Adam figured out, but he wasn't able, he was too afraid. And so he didn't uh, reject or stand up to or rebel against this God. Wow. And the power that the the evil God has over the prophets and the messengers that come out, which is basically that Satan has over the uh, prophets and the messengers, is proven in their mistakes uh, that they make. Okay. Okay. So um, the devil is able to tempt many of them. Uh, the fact that Jonah would run away from his mission, this is obviously if you believe that God sent him on the mission and that he runs away from God, then this very notion that he would abandon his mission, this means that he succumbed to the temptation of the devil. Wow. So all of that history of the prophets and the messengers, they were confused? It seems like that, right? Because if the devil had the power, as we've mentioned before, to cause Jonah to perceive God's delay of the punishment, which is an act of mercy, as an act of, uh, you know, a disappointing act or an act of, uh, you know, that would cause him to run away from God, then that obviously is a misinterpretation by a prophet of the intention of God. And that means that the potential of him misinterpreting other messages from God is that there. Yeah. And and also these imperfections like like forgetfulness. If you find this forgetfulness, it's always attributed to being from the devil. Even in the Quran, yeah. uh, you know, when Joshua and Moses are on their journey to meet the righteous servant, and then uh, Joshua forgets the fish, you know, what does he say? He says, the devil made me yes, uh, forget it, me right? Forget it, yeah. uh, Moses says in the Quran that it was uh, from the works of the devil that he killed the, um, the Egyptian, right? Yeah. So these admissions of having been influenced whether by forgetfulness or 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 enticed even to make murder uh, to commit murder or uh, you know that this is proof and the mistakes of the prophets and the messengers is proof the des the, the the you know the despair of of elijah and, and jeremiah and some of the prophets uh, giving up hope um, the anger and the wrath uh, that other prophets have, the drunkenness of other prophets, that all of this is proof that Satan had a hold over uh, these prophets and the messengers. He was able to tempt them. That is just such a different way of thinking about these stories because you imagine always that they... They have this um, loudspeaker of God speaking to them and they always know exactly what they're supposed to do and they never get confused and they know exactly what they're doing. But if you actually look into the stories, it, it's clear that that wasn't the case. Yeah. That it, it was not so clear all the time.
So basically in the Gnostic Gospels, it's like Jesus uh, does like an Elm Rijel or, uh, you know, like a, a knowledge of the men on, you know, the science of how they determine the the correct hadith, yeah. uh, you know, that the Sunnis do and the Shias do, where, where if they see that there was a narrator who had committed a sin or was known to lie or, or something like this, they say, oh, he's an unreliable narrator. So Jesus in the Gnostic Gospels, he kind of does the same thing. Oh my gosh, where he yes, uses, right. He uses the divine, uh, you know, uh, way of, of doing ilm rijal on the prophets and messengers and kind of insinuates, uh, you know, that look uh, these people um, you know although they were prophets from God uh, they clearly the devil had a hold over them they succumbed to his temptation they were not able to stand up uh, against the devil the devil and for that reason he basically says that they are unreliable wow as to where he is reliable wow that is very interesting. Yes, that's exactly what he did when he was speaking about them and saying they were laughingstocks for these reasons. He was talking about the mistakes that they made and how they didn't know God. So they were confused about who God was. Yeah, and they were confused. And there's verse in the Quran that says basically that there's not a single prophet that had a wish except that the devil threw into his wish. And, and, so, and so, yeah, so the, then the New Testament opens up and Jesus' prophecy and prophethood and his, uh, him being the Hajj of the time uh, begins after John the Baptist uh, basically uh, baptizes him mm -hmm. and the heavens open up and the Holy Ghost comes down uh, upon Jesus. Then the Holy Ghost takes Jesus and leads him into the wilderness yeah. where the very first thing, the very first act that Jesus does in the in the Gospels is that he has to now face temptations by the devil. Yes. Okay, yeah. so now Jesus is coming face to face with the devil as the prophets and the messengers did. Wow, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that's why it starts off with that because yeah, because the, the, the gospels are trying to tell us that look, uh, you know, just like uh, it says in the gospels that in the beginning there was the word, right? Mm -hmm. And and that the the so so now if Jesus is a prophet or is he, if he's a messenger from God that's sent to creation, this messenger is a word. Yes, and and so there were these other words that were also sent. Yeah. And the, the those words are incomplete words, right? right. They, they were not perfect words mm -hmm. as to where Jesus is the perfect word um, of okay. God. He's the complete word of God. He's, he's the one who's able to actually translate. Uh, trans translate trans correctly. Yes, correctly. Exactly, 100% without influence of the devil. So when we're listening to the narrations of Jesus, we know that we have a reliable, uh, you know, narrator. So, so he would kind of like be the, the Salman of the, of the prophets in terms of, of narrators. Right. And, and, and maybe some of these other prophets would have been as reliable as like Abu Huraira or some of these other people that are considered to be not so, um, reliable as narrators because of this fact that they were influenced by the devil. They weren't strong enough to 
to be able to distinguish between what message is from God yeah. and what message is, is from the devil, or they were able to distinguish, but they, they weren't strong enough to rebel against this power. That actually makes sense. You're making me think about this temptation of Jesus. How he responds is usually with uh, references to scripture, right? So when the devil tempts him, he's basically trying to say, I know you're not God because God says this. Exactly. Okay, so let's go through now. Uh, now, this is your part. Let's go through it. Let's, let's, let's stop here. And I want you, Tiffany, to go through the three um, incidents that take place between Jesus and the devil uh, when they come face to face with each other in the wilderness. Okay, sure. Um, the first temptation is, but we, we spoke about it before, but he was, he was fasting. Uh, so he was very hungry and his body was in a weakened state. And so the devil comes and he says, turn this stone into bread. And Jesus says, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone. So yeah, he's, he's basically saying, uh, God says this, that you can't live off of bread alone. So he's coming back with, uh, with a response saying that I know that you're not God, which is interesting. I never thought about it in that way before. And then, uh, depending on the gospel, he, he either, the, the order is different in some of the gospels, but, um, he, he leads, uh, Jesus up to a tall mountain and he says, uh, jump down and your God will save you. He tempts him to jump down and prove that he's enforced by God. And, uh, Jesus says, it, yeah, he says like, if, if, you know, if you fall, it's like, you're the son of God, the angels will just carry you. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Yeah, so he says, don't tempt, it's written, don't tempt your Lord. So uh, don't test God, basically. And uh, the final one is that he takes him. And Which is, again, him. him telling the devil, like, you know, um, clearly you're not God. Yeah, exactly. Which means he's trying to pass himself off as God, which is something that I never considered before. You know, uh, it makes it, he's referred to in the scripture as the devil. So it, it makes it seem as though it must be very clear to Jesus that he's the devil. He's coming up and he's saying, I'm the devil and I'm here to test you. But that's probably not what was happening. Uh, the third occasion is that he offers him all of the, the power. He says, uh, all of these kingdoms can be yours if you just fall down and prostrate and, and worship me. So um, he's offering power in the world, which... Which also shows yeah. that the devil is in control of all of the yeah. authority, all of the governments, all of kingship <laughs> yeah. in so the it, material world. Exactly. In this world, he's the one who has the power and he's saying, I'll give it to you. All you have to do is prostrate and, and worship me. Um, yeah, that's it. Okay, so now here's a couple important things. And this is the reason why we had to repeat the story. Yeah. Okay, so, so you have clearly here, obviously, like Jesus telling him, uh, you know, and Jesus displaying that he is perfect in terms of being able to distinguish what is from God and what's from um, the devil. And we also have uh, the idea that the devil himself is, is saying that he has all authority over the kingdoms of the, of the world. Yeah. And what else can we draw from this? Then I, I forgot to mention that what he says in the final uh, temptation is he refers to the, the first commandment, which is you, you shall have only one God and worship him. So he's saying, I'm a monotheist. I, I only follow the one God. So, but, but we can't deny that there's clearly power that the devil has to give. Yeah. 
And we also have this idea that that Jesus only after having been filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit takes him immediately to confront the devil. Wow, so the Holy Spirit leads him into this test. Yes, the Holy Spirit leads him into this test uh, as if to start off his chapter of prophethood by by teaching him and 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 testing him to see if he will be able to distinguish between these two voices that all the other prophets and messengers got confused in. That is just I mean so interesting because you really never think about it like that. You're not taught to think about it like that. But he was facing the same test that the prophets and the messengers had faced. And he was the only one who was able to pass it. And that's For sure, because Jesus wouldn't have uh, faced this if the other prophets and messengers wouldn't have also faced this. Yeah, and so that explains the difference between Jesus and the others. And there is this clear difference. And it's always a question of if he's just a prophet, why is he so different from the others? But he is complete. He's complete. He's perfect. Okay. 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 So now... Um, Jesus uh, is a perfect or complete uh, prophet, okay? Uh, do we have something that, uh, that basically backs this up uh, in the narrations of the Ahl of the, uh, Bayt from Islamic sources? And uh, we do. We do have something which, which, which kind of echoes uh, this notion or this idea. And it is also in the du'as from the Ahl al-Bayt al-Islam, in, in which you have um, a, one of the Ahl al-Bayt, they were calling upon God and they were saying, and uh, by your word that you spoke to Moses, and by your rise in Sa'ir, and by your appearance in Faran. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And so here we have Moses being mentioned, mm -hmm. but Moses is being mentioned as somebody who spoke to God. Okay. And then you have this rise of Sa'ir, and he's talking to God and he says, your rise in Sa'ir. So who rose in Sa'ir? We know that Jesus rose in Sa'ir. Okay. So Jesus is mentioned in the hadith of the Ahl-Bayt as being the rise of God. Okay. And your appearance in Faran, well, we know that the only person who appeared in Faran was Muhammad sallallahu wow. And so Jesus and Muhammad, unlike Moses and the rest of the prophets and the messengers, are being described as the rise and the appearance of God in creation. And a rise is a partial appearance. And the reason why it was a rise and not an appearance like Muhammad sallallahu is because clearly, um, you know, a, a, 
it was it was an attempted rise where Jesus first appears and then three years into his dawah, yeah. unlike Muhammad okay. Ali, who was able to continue uh, his entire life in that body, yeah. uh, Jesus uh, his life gets yeah. cut short at the very beginning at the rise of his career as a prophet or a messenger from God, and uh, yeah, so yeah, the, like the taste of God, the taste like, of it. Yeah. It was like the beginnings of it, the dawn of it. Wow. That's so interesting. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, so because of their perfection then, because of Jesus's perfection and him being a complete word, and we spoke before about how also the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa has this inherent uh, infallibility. Yeah. Um, and we also believe, uh, by the way, that uh, Jesus too, uh, as a member of the Ahl Kisab, but this is a, a, a complex idea that we're going to have to uh, discuss in a in a future episode. But but long story short, the infallibility of Jesus and the infallibility, who's speaking from the cradle, from the yeah. very first first uh, stages, and the infallibility of Muhammad, whom, whom nobody can find a mistake on him. Uh, these two individuals their infallibility is unlike the rest of them, and they also have many confrontations uh, with the devil. And, and Muhammad has many confrontations with the devil in narrations where also he is able to recognize the devil, banish the devil. Um, you know, and even in narrations, uh, it is him who, in the world of the Raja or the return, manages to kill the devil. Okay? Yeah. Uh, now that that perfectly explains this difference, which is already clear and apparent, that that these are different, that Jesus and Muhammad are different from all that came before. So this is this is amazing to understand why, and uh, and there's scriptural evidence as to why they were different. So now we have um, you know this notion uh, in Gnostic Christian Gnostic texts that the the god of the world was an evil god and that it is satan who uh, is in charge of this physical reality mm. oddly enough we also find gnostic scriptures gnostic texts gnostic manuscripts which also preserve the sayings of the al and they are also books that were rejected by those who compiled the major books of Hadith, and they were not included in them. Okay. And in these Islamic Gnostic texts, again, uh, without confirming or denying uh, every single thing that they're saying, because they say some very big things which I'm going to mention and uh, it needs to be discussed like a microscope or a magnifying glass. We have to look at um, each one of these concepts in future episodes. We don't have enough time now, but just for the sake of this theme that we have of the devil being the ruler, we have a book or a manuscript called Umm al-Kitab and it details in there uh, Imam al-Baqir is explaining the beginning of creation and he's talking about this angel named Azazel who um, God lent him uh, some of his light 
And it was this light that Azazel used to begin to form creation, the earthly creation. He molds it after what it is that he's seeing in the heavens. So he's seeing a perfect example in the Malakut of, or the kingdoms of the heavens of, of what uh, the perfect human is. He's gazing upon him, whether it's Jesus, whether it's Muhammad, and he forms after him the body of Adam, right? Okay. And that it is he who's responsible for creating all things of the flesh. Wow. All right? Yeah. And even it goes further in some of these Gnostic Islamic scriptures to state that that there is a multiplicity in terms of creators and that the Ahlul Bayt Muhammad Ali, Fatima Al-Hassan Al-Hussein, that they would definitely um, be considered to be creators and to be the ultimate light of God. Okay. And uh, uh, and even could be referred to as God, just like we mentioned before in the hadith, that there's an ultimate God, and then there's other gods that they could be referred to as God, but that it was Satan who, Azazel, who hated the notion of anybody else other than himself being called a God, and and so they say, and I want to be very careful, I'm not saying that this is the case, but I'm just showing you what is in the, the ideas that are present in the Gnostic scriptures, that, uh, that even the surah of Tawheed, Kulullahu Ahad, Allahu Samad, Lam Yalidu, Lam Yalidu, Lam Yakunnahu Kufuan Ahad, that this surah from the Quran is, it's in the Quran, and it's correct, because this surah applies to and is and is true when it comes to the ultimate god say god is one yes the ultimate god is one you know and he's the everlasting and he's the one whom nobody is his equal and he's the one who does not have an offspring right because he's he's a power that's beyond so the surah itself is truly um, about god but that it was actually the words of satan uh, when he was speaking about himself and that the Quran preserved these words. This is what Imam al-Baqir says in one of these Gnostic Gospels. So it's it's shown the surah in, in a different context now that it's actually the words of Satan as he was shouting out that, you know, I am ones you have to say that god is one you can't say that there's any gods but me wow. you know type of of thing so you you have exactly what's taking place in the gnostic christian uh, manuscripts being reflected and and echoed in the islamic gnostic narrations That's but you don't have uh, this theme in any of the other uh, Gnostic manuscripts that pertain to um, the Jewish prophets and messengers that came before Jesus. So it's only what? the complete words of God that seem to be coming out and exposing this fact. It's like a new revelation it that is. first came with the complete words. Wow, that is so interesting. That is really fascinating. It is. It's a very deep topic. And then you have this other fascinating uh aspect which is which was was really like brought to the forefront and revealed by Imam Ahmed Hassan for the first time. I'd never heard it from anybody else 
Ba'ahmed Hassan. And it was uh, one of those fascinating conversations that I that I had with him, where uh, where I was asking him about this this concept of uh, Iblis being, uh, you know, the the creator of the physical realm, and we find this idea also being echoed in the writings of of another prophet whose name was Manny, and we're going to go over uh, Manny and what he was was teaching. He was a prophet that appeared between Jesus's time and Muhammad's time. Yeah. And he was also saying that there's an evil creator that created all of the physical realm and he was drawing upon the teachings of Jesus Christ and Islam and and Ahmed Hassan he said, What does Gabriel mean? You know, and I thought about it and I said, you know, Gabriel, it's uh, you know, Jibrail, it's from Jabarut Allah, you know, the the might of God, Gabriel. Gabriel, because because there's uh, you always have like Jibrail, Mikael, Israfil, Ismail, Israel, right? Azrael, Azazil. So each one of these, the names of these uh, uh, angels, it always ends with this il or el, right? Yeah. Which is a word that's known to mean God. So il or el, it means Allah. This is it's the same thing, right? Yes. And so the beginning half of the angel's name, Gabriel, it comes from a different word. So it would always be like Gabriel means the might of God. Yes. Right? Yes. Michael means, you know, or Azazil means the dear one of God. Okay. Okay. Yes. And so each one of these these names would 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 ha- it would be a combination between something of God, something of God, something of God. He said, he asks me, what does shaitan mean? Okay. Basically provoking me to split the word shaitan just as we had split the words of the, the names of the angels. He says, look at it like you look at Gabriel. Look at it as you look at Zazel. Okay. And so he breaks down the name of shaitan into shayt and tan. Okay. And he says, what does that mean? And shayt in the Arabic language means something. Okay. And tan means clay. It comes from teen. teen. It's a different form of, of mud or clay. Okay. And so shaitan all of a sudden becomes something from clay. And then oh my gosh. he brings to mind the narration of Imam Ali alayhi where he says that everybody is the shaitan of his own self. Everybody is the devil of his own self. And so he says to me that shaitan, something from clay, is, is, is basically a word that refers to all of these physical yeah. bodies that the devil himself had created. Yeah, I mean, that's that's how we always thought of them being fashioned, you know, fashioned out of the mud, fashioned out of the clay, like, yeah, wow. Yeah, so he, so he says that, yes, the devil did create the material world. He did create all of those things that are made of clay. 
And and he is, uh, you know, he is the devil. And for that reason, like all of those those bodies, they have these uh, jealous natures, these uh, lustful natures, these forgetful natures, because they are created by an imperfect God. And that is why the world is in the way that it is now with all of this suffering and imperfection, because it was a world that was created by an imperfect creator. Had it been created by a perfect creator, then the, the, the situation and the bodies and everything else, they wouldn't die. They wouldn't be struck by diseases. It's only because it was an imperfect creator that there are imperfections in creation. I mean, that's so clear. That's That makes perfect sense. And to be honest, we already think of it that way. People who believe uh, in these religions, they believe that the world is an imperfect place and a place that is full of darkness and uh it doesn't really make sense if God, the perfect God, the one who also created the heavens, is also the one who created uh, the physical world. Why would it be this way? Um, why, why would the world be in such a bad state? And why would we always be having to fight against ourselves? Why would our natural impulses be um, problematic? Why would they be tending towards uh, darkness sometimes? So it, it makes perfect sense. It just We didn't have the explanation before. Yeah, and so this Gnostic explanation that we get from these Gospels that unfortunately uh, the fallible people who compiled, uh, you know, the, the, the Old Testament, the New Testament, they left out. Yeah. And, and so the Imam Islam, he continues and, and he takes it a step further and he says in this, in this beautiful response to now like atheists because they have the, the perfect response to those people that wonder like, okay, if there really is a God, then why is the world in the state that it is? Is because the God that created this physical realm that we're in is imperfect. He says, what about the name of Iblis? He says, do the same thing as you did with Shaitan and as you did with Gabriel and the other names, you know, like Ismail, the, the, he who heard from God. Uh, how do you, what would you, how would you break down Iblis? And so it was clear that it, it's Ib or Ab, Lis. Ab or the, the Alif and the Ba in the beginning of Iblis, mm -hmm. it means father. Father, yeah. 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 And he says, and Lis is an ancient word that means creation. And so the word Iblis, or the name Iblis, was father of creation. Father of creation. It, is, it does not mean, uh, it, it's not like some of the narration stated that he got the name of Iblis because he despaired, but rather he got the name of Iblis by the other angels who gave him this name because of their extreme love for him, and because of the fact that he created this physical realm. So they call him, hence, the father of creation. The father of creation, wow. Wow. Isn't that incredible? That's so amazing. So many secrets hidden within these words that were not broken down before or explained uh, properly, the origin of what they actually mean. That's, so, that's amazing that, that secrets, such huge secrets, could actually be present kind of right in front of you all along, hidden within these words, but nobody ever understood them. So now uh, we have this idea that the devil created this world um, and that there's an ultimate God who's a good God. Um, one of the points that I just want to mention before we end the, the, the episode 
is the fact that uh, in the temptation of Jesus Christ, we have this very important point, which is the fact that Jesus is clearly imbued with the Holy Spirit, clearly a messenger from God and sent forth as a messenger from God, and yet the devil comes to him in that temptation and asks him to prostrate to him. So that means that the devil was going to take as a messenger for his own self a messenger that was already a messenger for God. And so if he did that with Jesus, then then it means that the devil would have attempted to also take as messengers for his own self every other messenger that came from before. Wow. Okay? Yeah. And when we go to the scripts, the manuscripts, the secret texts of the Yazidis, and the Yazidis are uh, members of this, Uh, ancient religion and they still live in Iraq today and they were very much persecuted um, by members of ISIS uh, when when the whole thing was going on over there uh, in Iraq where ISIS was occupying Um, they were being killed and attacked and raped on the basis that they were devil worshippers because of their beliefs Mm-hmm. And basically, they believe, and that's why Iraq is kind of this mystical place where you have over there is still the followers of John the Baptist, the Mandaeans, and you have the Yazidis, and the Yazidis, and then you have all these other religions, and you have the Yazidis over there who believe in the godhood of the peacock angel. They don't believe that the peacock angel is the ultimate god. But they believe that the peacock angel is the dear angel to God, that he was Azazel, and that he was commanded to prostrate to Adam, but, uh, but that it was a test. It was a, it was a, it's like a Gnostic reversal also of the story from a different aspect. Yeah, so, the story from the Quran where he... Yeah, so for them, for them, Azazel, yes, he was an angel, just like the Quran. And he was commanded to prostrate to Adam. But it was a test that, that the angel in, in, in one set of texts uh, passes by, by, by not prostrating. Just like the tree. Yes, because God is one and God doesn't want that, he, that anybody worship anybody but him. And so the idea of prostrating to Adam was really a test that all the angels fell in by prostrating to Adam because now they're worshiping Adam. They're worshiping a God other than the ultimate God. But Iblis himself, he was, he was smart. He didn't worship. He knew that it was a test. And this was all a demonstration to show the angels the superiority and the supreme nature of the peacock angel because he's the one who gets it. He's the one who doesn't and refuses to prostrate to Adam. Wow. It's so complicated. It's so complicated. I, when you're explaining this, it really makes me think about how in the, in the Gnostic books, it's talking about this temptation of the tree and eating from the tree, whether that was good or bad. And it's pretty much the same thing, that it's all a test. And people just, different religions have split apart 
by understanding these things in the opposite way. And exactly. That's so interesting. So then, uh, so so for them, he created the world, and for them, the peacock angel uh, was obviously forgiven by God for not prostrating to Adam, because in reality, um, it was the ultimate God who was commanding them to do a sin in order to test if they had ever learned anything from, from all of monotheism, that they should never worship anything but God, and only the peacock angel succeeds in this, and, and that the peacock angel, uh, he is the one who actually sent forward the prophets and the messengers. This is also one of their uh, tenets of faith or belief, and one of the reasons why uh, they were slaughtered and have been a religious group that's been oppressed uh, all of these years. And so um, in, the, in the scriptures, the peacock angel says in the Yazidi scriptures, I'm the one who sent forward you know, this prophet, and I'm the one who sent forward, so he's the one that sent forward Moses with the Torah, and he's the one who sends forward Jesus with the Gospels, and he's the one who sends forward Muhammad with the Quran. It actually says it that. It actually says that. It actually says that it's the peacock angel who sent each one of these prophets with their holy scriptures, and he's the only God that's out there that communicates. The ultimate God is pretty much him, and, and he's the ultimate God, and that he's the one who sends forward uh, the prophets and the messengers, and there's no God but me, he says uh, in the scriptures. Uh, but he says that you know his chosen people are the Yazidis who get this, and that all the other members of the faiths from before they got something wrong or that there was corruption in their texts. And one of the corruptions that the Yazidis hate about the Quran and they consider it to be a great offense and they say if you have a copy of it that you have to uh, uh, mark it out is the word shaitan because they think that, that these verses that call the peacock angel a shaitan, this is an offense to him. Okay. Uh, like it's, it's almost like a curse to him that was added to the Quran later, and so you must uh, wipe it out. So from their perspective, it's a corruption. Yeah, from their perspective, it's a corruption. Okay. So wow. isn't that incredible? That is really incredible. My and, head is spinning a little bit. From yeah, so, so and, and here we are. So we'll stop there because I don't want your head to spin <laughs> any, anymore. But we, we, we have here different religions breaking off from one another because they're having different readings um, uh, of particular events, whether it's it's the Mandaeans who believe that Jesus was imbued actually by the Holy Ghost, but they believe the Holy Ghost to be a manifestation of the devil. And uh, they believe that Jesus was the Messiah Kadeb, and they reinterpret the event of the baptism yeah. by John or the Yazidis who are uh, doing a reverse interpretation of the incident of the prostration to Adam or it's Jesus in the Gnostic scriptures who's saying that Moses got it wrong and he was confused and the God of the garden was actually uh, Satan or uh, the Quran and Islam that's saying that Jesus wasn't crucified. All of them are different yeah. uh, readings and interpretations of particular events. So we'll stop there. Thank you so much for joining me. And uh, God bless you, Tiffany. I'll, I'll leave any final words to you. Oh, God bless. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, I'm really fascinated. I can see how when you start to put all of the, the scriptures out on the table together, the story gets uh, complicated. And it really points out why um, 
we can't rely on the interpretations of fallible people as to what's true or not because they have no basis from God to decide that. And the only way that we can actually study these things and get through it and understand what's really true is with the correct person, the person who God chose. Um, scriptures alone are not enough. It's very clear. So um, thank you so much. You've given me really a lot to think about today with all of the things that we've discussed, and I can't wait to learn more. Thank you. Thank you so much.